really got to try on that left-hand side. What happened? <laughs> oh, but I've gone up and over, and Marty had over biscuit. It was a, uh, it was, a, it wasn't enough stability there for myself. But um, no, I was busting for a bit of meat this game. It didn't seem to work out. Hello, cheers, and welcome, welcome to the Scrum of the Earth podcast, the weekly show that brings you news, reviews, great interviews, and so much more all about the world of rugby union. As always, I am your host. I'm David Lawrence. I'm an American rugby fan who follows the game wherever I can find it all over the globe. If you'd like to get in touch, well, I would love to hear from you. I'm on Twitter at of Scrum. I'm on Instagram at the Scrum of the Earth podcast. And you can always just drop me an email at the Scrum of the Earth at gmail.com. So with all the little bits of admin out of the way, let's get this show on the road. So as always, we start with our current updates. And you know what, my friends? I have been moaning here over my job situation for, for some time now. And sure enough, the listeners responded. It was so great. It has been so great. I got every kind of response from the simple sort of, hey, sorry to hear that, all the way to concrete links to actual opportunities. I just wanted to take this time to say a sincere thank you to everyone who reached out. You know, I was hesitant to throw it out there in the first place, but I, I just had a feeling it would garner some thoughtful and encouraging replies. And for a change, I was right. I swear, the best thing about doing this pod by far has been getting to know all sorts of great people all over the world. And once again, you all showed how kind and giving people can be, especially when it comes to rugby people. So I foresee good things and will update you as, uh, as soon as things evolve and I have some good news to share with you. But in the meantime, woe is me time is over and we can get back to our usual goofiness. So thank you again, folks, sincerely. It's too good. It's too good. People have to know. Yes, Isa, for a change, I think it is good news. So down in New Zealand, the new season of the NPC is close enough that the fixtures are starting to appear on Flow Rugby, well, as I'm starting to call it, Blow Rugby's uh, schedule, which of course led me to go hunting for news on that very front. Sure enough, I found a pretty great article talking about a new initiative they're implementing this year. As it read, quote, in partnership with New Zealand Rugby, Bunnings Warehouse has created the Bunnings Rugby Assist program to support community rugby across the country. Grassroots rugby is at the heart of every community in New Zealand, whether it's spending weeknights training or Saturday mornings cheering from the sidelines, Kiwis come together for the love of the game. In 2021, a third of all rugby clubs applied to Bunnings Rugby Assist by sharing upgrade plans for their club facilities. 20 community rugby clubs received a share of $300,000 worth of Bunnings products and materials to improve their facilities, along with hands-on support from their local Bunnings team to help with their uh, to bring their renovations to life. We now close out the first season of Bunnings Rugby Assist with incredible stories from uh, Onarahi up north to Alhambra Union down south and others in between. Check out the stories on the link provided. Uh, you can follow the link in my show notes, of course. With season two on the horizon, Bunnings Rugby Assist shifts focus to supporting the development of women's rugby. Whether your club could use a separate changing room, uh, switching out some urinals for toilets, or perhaps just an extension to the club room, will soon be opening entries for all clubs to nominate their upgrade plans. Unquote. You know, <laughs> I mean, for me, I'm, I'm a sucker for this sort of thing, and reading it just brought a smile to my face, for sure. It also made me realize... I'm already chomping at the bit for the next season of the NPC. Last year was freaking epic. It was so good. And by the way, this year begins with a Ranfurly Shield defense as well, so it doesn't get much better than that. Moving on to our thoughts of the week, and you know what, my friends? There's really only one thing in my thoughts this week, and that, of course, is the three lovely years we got to enjoy the remarkable 
the unique talents of MLR MVP, Mr. Bodine Waka. On Thursday, my friend Phil from the Jacks Rangers podcast broke the news that BW will not be returning to my beloved Free Jacks next season, having signed a lucrative and well-earned deal to play for the Steelers out of Kobe in Japan's Rugby League One. So I actually got a chance to chat briefly with the man himself, and I asked him if he was planning to return to Waikato and the NPC, where he won the title just last season. His reply was, I apologize for the language here, well, I'd like to, but they haven't offered me shit. Well, looks like that particular problem has been solved. Unfortunately for us here in New England, the Japanese competition runs concurrently with MLR, whereas the NPC runs in the MLR offseason, allowing him to play in both uh, in the in past years. Bodine Waka, you earned a special, special place in the mostly frozen hearts of New Englanders everywhere. You've been the fire that burns in the lanterns we metaphorically carry as fans. We enjoyed unprecedented success this past year, and you were an enormous part of that. I believe I speak for rugby fans everywhere. When I say a heartfelt thank you and wish you all the best in your life, in the future, and in Japan in particular, if your journey ever takes you back to this side of the world, you will always have a place here. Good sir, your Free Jacks ride has come to an end, but a brand new one is just beginning. Thank you for your blood, sweat, and, well, well, probably not tears because you don't strike me as someone who spends a lot of time crying, so let's go with blood, sweat, and more sweat. You will be deeply and sorely missed, my friend, but we wish you only the best. You truly deserve it. Our consolation prize as fans is your new competition happens to be carried by the same provider here as the Free Jacks, the Rugby Network. Thank God for them. So we can all still follow you and your amazing career. Your t- uh, your new team, they only went 7-9 last year, putting them at the low end of the sort of midway point on the league table. So they can surely use your prodigious talents. Go well, my friend. We will miss you. Okay, moving on to our reviews. And well, my friends, it feels great to get back to that special brand of summer test rugby. There's just, uh, I don't know how to describe it. There's an additional sensationalism or, or maybe just grandeur that comes when we're outside of the slog of the endless club seasons. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Don't get me wrong. Following those leagues all year is, you know, kind of what I do. But nevertheless, There is something sublimely unfettered about the tests that come to us, that are given to us in the heat and the glare of the summer months. And I am, as you no doubt have surmised by now, supremely pumped for that. So, of course, the first thing this time around was the Maori All Blacks hosting Ireland on Wednesday. I was obviously very excited for this one. I always love these midweek fixtures, especially when they're on the other side of the world, because that generally means that they're available for replay as soon as I get home from work on a Wednesday. It's so great. But of course, that would be the case if this test was carried by any service on earth besides Flow, I'm sorry, Blow Rugby, who once again dropped the ball, had no link available 15 full hours after the fact. When customer service finally replied to my inquiry, they said, we apologized for any inconvenience may be causing right now. Unfortunately, we were not able to stream this event live. We are working with our production team in regards to a refeed or replay of this game. As you all know by now, I have a very love-hate relationship with Blow Rugby. On one hand, it's a fact they are the only carrier for a butt-ton of rugby that I desperately want to watch week in and week out. On the other hand, they botch it so thoroughly and so frequently. You just honestly... You never have any idea if your plans to watch a a certain fixture are even going to pan out at all because it might just never appear there. In this case, 
the ambivalence deepened for on Friday, late in the afternoon, I unexpectedly got an email from their customer service department saying, hi, David, sorry for the inconvenience. Here is a link. A link, by the way, which they never actually added to their own website. So again, on one hand, let's let's be honest, that was some fantastic customer service follow-up right there. It was like I sort of got something extra or something special out of it. On the other hand, it was two and a half days after the fact. That's two and a half days of, what, I'm just not checking Twitter or anything, desperately trying to avoid seeing the result that everyone will be talking about. And we had actual internationals coming within 12 hours, including a match with my USA Eagles lined up for a meeting with the French Barbarian side. I mean, was it even going to be worth watching at that point? Ugh. Well, <laughs> in any event, you'll all be completely unsurprised to learn I did decide to watch it. And the, uh, you know, I'm glad I did. The opening ceremonies, they were so powerful. It was a truly just a, a gorgeous spectacle at kickoff with Bundiaki back on Kiwi soil after his former career as a chief. And he looked particularly choked up as he laid out the honorary Irish jersey for Sean Wainui, whose memory continues to resonate throughout the Pacific and indeed the world. The Maori All Blacks dominated the first half, coming up to uh, with a 32-10 scoreline just at the buzzer. And in the second half, you know, it was funny because the comms kept saying how it was, quote, all Ireland, unquote. While meanwhile, the scoreboard didn't actually move at all. The Maori All Blacks had, I thought, a great mix of experience and new talent with the likes of TJ and his 78 caps for the All Blacks, alongside with a very exciting Zarn Sullivan. Interesting side note, Sullivan and his younger brother got to play together for the first time at this level and both really looked excellent. I'm officially expecting big things from both of them. Side note again, uh, they kept <laughs> they kept showing us Andy Farrell in the booth. And, you know, usually coaches have sort of a slew of assistants around them, not Andy. He, I mean, at least the way the shot was lined up, he was just kind of sitting there by himself looking vaguely frustrated. It became increasingly comical as the match wore on. He sort of looked like a fan, trying to decide if he should leave early to avoid some of the traffic. It was great. In any event, any momentum Ireland had found dissipated as the match wore on. The Maori All Blacks just kept pounding and grinding away, still up three scores with only six and a half minutes left. Right in a row, Ruben Love doinked a penalty kick, then whiffed a drop goal. I'm just not sure how I feel about that dude. At least he didn't look like he'd been completely exsanguinated like last time I saw him. Last time I saw him, he looked like a vampire with malaria or something. So as Ireland botched a line out with just over three minutes left, I took out the game over stamp and basically covered the page with it. Even Andy Farrell seemed to be checking for his car keys at that point. At the double whistle from Wayne Barnes, barista extraordinaire, <laughs> that's how the evening would end. It was 32 to 17 in favor of the home side. Great stuff. So... Friday night, we had, ooh, oh my gosh, I'm still getting over it. We had my USA Eagles hosting a French Barbarians team, and I'm not going to lie, I was crapping myself with worry over this one. Oh my gosh. In any event, it was Ruben de Haas who got the first points of the match, slotting a drop goal that seemed to surprise the Babas, if such a thing is possible. Uh, early side note about our awful uniforms. The ref kept referring to us collectively as either red or black, and, you know, I don't... Uh, it's hard to argue. It, it was true. We basically looked like a, a Saracens-themed to-go cup from the early 1990s, like in a coffee shop somewhere that you'll never go back to. Anyway, right after the first quarter had gone by, the Barbarians got their first try and made the easy conversion to go up four. I realized we were at least somewhat fortunate to have all the top French players either resting at home or down in Japan right now. 
but I still feared a giant blowout in this one. So Christian Dyer retook the lead for USA shortly thereafter, but around 32 minutes, uh, AJ McGinty really muffed a kick on the full, handed the visitors another golden opportunity. Very surprising to see. On the other hand, my Free Jacks own Mitch Wilson was having a great night in his, I believe, his first appearance for the Eagles, though uncapped. Uh, when he could get his hands on the feet or feet on the ball, he was just fantastic. So gratifying to see him tearing it out there, tearing it up out there at the next level. Um, I, I, as I just mentioned, my friends at Rugby Morning did point out this will not be his first official cap for the Eagles, as it's an unofficial fixture outside of the window for tests. So I'm, I'm guessing this will be his test to see if he would get a cap against Chile right around the corner on the calendar. Anyway, you know me. I always like to mention the atmosphere in these contests and the dark clouds that descended over Houston, just gray and deep purple, looked ominous, though I, you know, I couldn't divine for which side. As if in answer, AJ got another three to make it 23-7 to with a half hour to go. Plenty of times if things get sloppy, as Barbarians games seem to, usually much to their own advantage. But then, Ruben de Haas got himself yellow carded in aid of preventing a try. The resulting play was a penalty try, and I was very worried indeed. Nine points with only 25 left. Come on, my Eagles. You know, guys, this match may have been the coolest I've ever seen with my Eagles. Man, oh man. You know, down on their doorstep after a stirring speech that the cameras caught from McGinty. The visitors, they got their own yellow card, seemed to yield a ton of momentum. Mitch Wilson switched a scrum half at the next scrum, and by the 68th minute, the comms were absolutely gushing over him. It was so great. Barbarians got what felt uh, what felt like an inevitable try at that point, and were down only two, with eight minutes left. And then in my notes, it just said, yes, we disrupted their mall, earned a penalty with three minutes to go. Oh my word, we really had a chance here. To all of you listening, not in the U.S., yes, I know, it's not even a proper test, but I recently watched us lose to New Zealand by 95 points, so I will take what I can get. A scrum for the USA with 90 seconds left, I mean, come on, man, and then it went, I, I kid you not, the, it, the game was extended till the 86th minute, and as I screamed at the screen, knock on, the Babas knocked it on. And a 26-21 win in Texas for the Eagles is what we got. Wow, what a game. Beforehand, I had it so wrong, and it was so, so right. Next up for me was Japan versus France, and... You know, my friends, I have to admit, I clearly didn't do my homework leading into some of these fixtures because some of the lineups uh, lineups for these matches, some of the, the game day 23s were really surprising for me. I really should have checked on that a lot, a lot more diligently as we headed into this weekend. It was a big surprise to me to see the, the, the team that France fielded for this one. Not exactly the top tier, to put it delicately. Given that, of course, it was nice to see Japan holding their own in one I had imagined would be a complete dismantling. After minute 25, they had actually taken a lead for the second time at 13-10. to 10. Shortly thereafter, every single person on the field was confused except Frank Murphy, who explained slowly the new interpretation of the rule that says, when a ball comes out of a ruck sideways, defenders can pick it up but cannot simply dive on it, which was a... <laughs> Definitely a new one on me as well. I, I can't even fathom why such specificity would be intentionally added to 
an esoteric rule like this, it's very strange. Anyway, if you have some sort of insight or understanding of this new change of why this was added, please, please reach out and let me know. I'm desperate to know. Of course, while the conditions in New Zealand were wintry at best, it was a massive heat wave in Japan with temperatures even hotter than the conditions were in Houston for the Eagles match. Either way, lots of Frenchmen soaked in sweat this weekend, however you look at it. Anywho, France, they broke out of their funk a bit to retake the lead, 13-20 to 20, headed towards the 50-minute mark. And, you know, that was when things sort of started to open up for them a bit. The bravery of the Blossoms wilting in the burning sunlight. Up 16-35 to 35, with Japan going to the far ends of their bench, it only looked to be headed one way. The margin became 26 with 10 minutes left. And with a, cons- a consolation try for the home side, 42-23 to 23 was your final score in the searing heat of Nagoya. Then, of course, whew, it was New Zealand hosting Ireland, who frankly have had the AB's number in recent years, though they had never won at Eden Park. I was glad to see right off the bat that everyone have, uh, involved were clearly listening to my podcast recently because former Diamond in the Ruck recipient Lester Fainga Anuku, he got tabbed for his first ever New Zealand cap, becoming all-black number 1,200, while Sam Whitelock became the second-most capped player with his 133rd behind only the great Richie McCaw in New Zealand's storied rugby history. Another interesting side bit, they mentioned that the lead official, Carl Dixon, called 31 penalties in the Italy versus New Zealand match last November, a reminder, they said, of how important discipline would be on the night. Lovely little extra bit of sort of pre-game storylines and plot thickerers. I love that. The All Blacks hadn't lost at Eden Park since 1994, winning 44 of the last 46, drawing two of them, while Ireland have lost all 12 tests they have played. Somehow, the, I gotta say, the more they kept piling on these stats, though, the more I actually thought it was probably going to be Ireland's evening by the end. So, Ireland, they did come out with incredible fire, and despite only racking up five points, to me, they looked to be in, in complete control on both sides of the ball, but then New Zealand finally hit back, went up by two, then nine then 16, then 23, and word came in as we approached halftime that Johnny Sexton had failed in HIA and wouldn't be returning. You know, I'm I'm not his biggest fan. I didn't think that would necessarily harm Ireland too much, but, you know, his frequent early departures always seemed to sort of steal the wind from the Irish sails, I guess you could say. So Ireland, they scored first to start the second half, but a major brain fart from Jamison Gibson Park led to an absolutely sick run from my guy, Artie Savia. Suddenly, it was 35-12 to 12 at the 55-minute mark. I was surprised to see Bundiaki, who played the entire match the previous Wednesday, being brought in that, at that early stage. I really wondered if Ireland were sort of going to that particular well one too many times way too early. Anyway, Ireland, they began to look a little bit desperate. It was Rico Iwani with some amazing individual... Uh, Uh, defense to wipe out two potential tries right in a row. Incredible stuff from the winger turned center. You know, when you think Rico Ioani, you think speed on the outside, not desperate defense right at the goal line. It was amazing. The All Blacks came right back down, scored a beauty off a dominant scrum. The lead was 30 points with less than 10 minutes to go. The Irish did they get they, they did get one more score, but it was done and dusted by that point. Forty-four to nineteen was the final score in a statement game for New Zealand. The comms hinted earlier that they were sort of blowing their wad a bit by scheduling the first test at Eden Park, where they usually play play the final fixture of a given series. But even so, mission accomplished. Serious side note here, and you know, some of you will think I'm taking the piss here or something, and I'm absolutely not. 
how much more does Johnny Sexton want to take? He can barely make it through a game. If it's not a knee or a shoulder, it's a concussion. I mean, the guy has a family, right? Like, I'm, I'm not trying to be mean or make a joke out of it here. I honestly want him to think about the people around him before he's just left a, a husk of a human. By the way, a uh, friend of the pod, Craig Manson, just mentioned uh, on Twitter recently, Andy Farrell, the coach of Ireland, has already said, yeah, we really hope we can get him back out there next weekend. Are you kidding me? The man has a laundry list of, of concussions. This is obviously another one to put him back out there six, six and a half days later. It's frankly, it's outrageous and disrespectful. And just, it's so blind to the, the player's health. I don't get it. And I'm sure Johnny's saying, got to put me out there. Got to put me out there. I'm, I'm sure there's pressure from the player, but do the right thing. Johnny, I know you're listening right now. Obviously, please have a look in the mirror. You're an all-time great. Ireland loves you. There's nothing you could do to besmirch your own reputation. It's it's etched in stone. Don't put yourself in a position where you don't remember any of your own highlights, my friend. Come on. So after that, it was a quick hop over to Perth for Australia versus England. I could not have been more excited for this one. Two teams I never mind seeing lose, and one of them would do so on the night. I mean, how good is that? They had a cute little sort of lead-in video, by the way, featuring an incredibly precocious young boy saying how, quote, in his experience, unquote, Perth had the greatest stadium in the world, which was, that was pretty awesome. Also, they, they cut to a crowd shot where, you know, legions of fans were all wearing identical helmets in the, uh, helmets in the very sort of orangey gold color of the Wallabies. Can anyone out there listening tell me, was the joke that these were Perth helmets? Is that it? Like it's it seems like a pretty a pretty big pun to enact on such a scale, but I honestly couldn't think of any other explanation at all. Please, if you know, please reach out to me and let me know. I would love to figure out what was up with the Perth helmets. And by the way, in the meantime, I'm sticking with that phrase. I think that's a winner. Anywho, the match itself. So I'm not gonna even talk about the Itoje scream to nullify your lineout call thing, because I'm sure. Twitter and everyone who's listening to the universe is being blown up by that thing right now. But my little side take on it is this. Eddie Jones, he knows that Morrow is such a goody-goody. Such a He's so dedicated to the team. He'll literally do anything he's asked. And I think, again, my little tiny theory, when Eddie Jones told him, hey, you know what you should do? You should scream so loud that the other team can't hear their own line-out calls. Maybe he was only half serious, but then Morrow goes out and does it. And the ref is like, hell no. And I swear, I saw a teeny tiny glint in Morrow's eye that was like, thank God I don't have to do that anymore. <laughs> in any case, lots of weirdness in this one. Um, there were cards and penalties. There was a pretty gross hair pulling incident involving the man I just call the, I call the disgraced alchemist Johnny Hill. But I guess that's what you get when you're playing England, right? Anyway, down 9-6, to six, England, they got the first try of the match, but Owen Farrell muffed the extras, though he made up for it pretty shortly thereafter with the next score, pushing England's lead to 9-14, to 14, entering the final quarter of play. Corbin Bette, he looked like a guru rugby hermit of some kind. His facial hair is getting so big, it's amazing. I was dying for him to make the difference in this one. It would have been so cool. But... Jordan Pattaya, he tied it up with a quarter hour left, and Lola Sio, gaining confidence in front of our very eyes, nailed the extras to give Wallabies the lead. 
Then another favorite of mine, Falau Fainga'a, he came in and I swear, as the comms were busy speculating about whether or not he would get a mall try or not, that's exactly what he did. And Lilicio, coming through again, pushed it to a nine-point lead with nine minutes left. Australia, they were just not to be denied in this one. Despite two lovely sort of desperation tries and only a couple of minutes right at the end by the English, Wallabies came out winners 30-28, to 28, and that was a deceptive scoreline if ever I saw one. Definitely some bad signs in English rugby these days. This feels like it's sort of right on the edge of being called a skid. And if they lose next week, the anti-Eddie shouts will become a deafening roar, at least on Twitter. That is for sure. Quick side note, you know, I didn't really care either way who won Japan versus France. I was just hoping it wasn't going to be a blowout. And that means every single result thus far has gone the way I wanted it to this weekend. As soon as I realized that, I became incredibly worried. and I felt like I was about to get hit by lightning or something. I mean, that never happens, right? Anyway, next on the docket was another match I was worried would be a blowout. As I've spoken about frequently in this very space, Wales have had a year straight out of a horror movie, and they now face three tests against the reigning world champs, South Africa. Historically, these teams have faced each other 37 times, with the Springboks winning 30 of those contests, on top of which 10 of those tests were in South Africa and Wales lost all 10. They began this series in Pretoria and it was, gotta say, it was hugely gratifying to see that the stadium was back to its old self. All COVID restrictions at long last lifted. 50,000 voices creating that incredible din we associate with a test of this significance. The grandeur of the Welsh national anthem always gets to me. Obviously, me along with the teary-eyed old men in the crowd who traveled all that way. Just one of the best, regardless of who you support. During the South African anthem, I actually saw a shot of a woman in the crowd holding on to an actual wine glass. Like a glass, not a plastic cup. Do they actually sell drinks in stemware, in glass stemware in Pretoria? Philadelphia, it is not. Anyway. Wales had what the comms called their dream start, with Lewis Rees-Samet getting a corner try within the first few minutes. Only a couple minutes later, Dan Bigger slotted a drop goal that no officials seemed to think had gone through, but thankfully, they checked and got it right. Down eight, the box lined up a kick for Yankees, and uh, <laughs> Yankees got that silliest of all results, the double doink off both posts, you know, if you were a speculative gambler, a gambler this weekend, it must have been a very either lucrative or, you know, pocket cleaning series of results. I can't even imagine. Anyway, soon after that, it was Lewis Rees-Samet again, taking advantage off a loose ball to get a brace before 33 minutes had even passed by. I was surprised to see how well things were going for the Welsh. 3-18 to 18 was the score with six minutes left in the opening stanza. Of course, as I wrote that, inevitably, Dan B- Bigger, he got himself yellow-carded for not rolling away from, from a tackle on Fafta Clerk of all people. And the box had a golden opportunity to change the momentum heading into halftime. So, quick fast-forward to 15 minutes to go. Wales, they enjoyed a precarious nine-point edge. And as if offended by my writing that very fact, Colbe, ugh. Cheslin Colbay, he found the corner, and after Damien uh, Willemsa's conversion, it was a two-point affair only, an absolute edge-of-your-seat affair, incredible. So the man they call the talisman, Alan Wynne-Jones, he found himself in the sin bin as the oracles began to frown on, I'm going for it here, Kimri? Uh, if you're one of my Welsh listeners, please tell me how badly I botched that. Anyway, with six and a half minutes left, Lewis Rees-Samet, he got yellow-carded for slowing the ball down. 
and up 13 to uh, 15 to 13 players, the box almost immediately got a penalty try, resulting in yet another yellow card, and there were suddenly three men in the bin. I gloomily undid the clasps on the box containing the game over stamp. And by the way, we really, I mean, as fans and viewers, we need some clarity on this. When a ref says it's a yellow card because it's a penalty try, the comms all say, yes, to the letter of the law, a penalty try must involve a card. But the other, you know, 50 or 60% of the time, when there isn't a card, the comms tend to say something, say either nothing, or they'll say, oh, they were lucky not to get a card there. Can we please get some consistency with this? What is the rule? Anyway, as I sort of randomly chant, chanted dragon magic under my breath, Wales burst through for a lightning strike try. I didn't even clock at it as it was happening. It was, Although, you know, camera guys, it was very rude to see the camera pick up a shot of a, a pasty-faced undershirt-wearing fan obnoxiously giving a double finger as Dan Bigger's extras went wide. Dead even with Wales still down, two players and only a minute on the clock. I honestly thought Wales had no chance coming into this one, so at this point, it was killing me to think that South Africa might steal it at the very, very end. Ugh, my heart, my heart sank. Damien Willemse again slotted a pen to ice it for the home team. Just a, a gut punch loss for a team desperately in need of a win. This one left me sick to my stomach. I, you know, I even like the Springboks. I think they're pretty awesome. I have nothing fundamentally against them. I don't root against them. I love their Rugby World Cup victory for sure. But this one, I don't know. It hurt deep for some reason. Just rough. 32 to 29 was the final score in this one. Woe to Wales. Okay, with most of these tests, you know, I generally feel like I have at least some some kind of handle on what to expect coming into it. But, you know, this one was the exception. Argentina, they welcomed Scotland. They were huge unknowns for me. But right at the top, the flower of Scotland came through, piddly on the audio, but clear. And, oh, those pipes with the soprano snares of the Highland drummers. Ooh, gets me every time. Of course, I've said here many times before just how much I love the sort of evolving drama that is the Argentinian anthem. And it had been so long since I'd heard it on their national soil. It was like that moment in Shawshank when Andy Dufresne is playing opera over the, the speakers to all the prisoners. Such a delight. Anyway, <laughs> I definitely should not have saved this one for last. By the way, yet again, Blow Rugby dropped the ball. The audio for this one was only from the ref mic, not even on all the time, and a couple of very poorly placed audience mics. I mean, why have any of them? And nothing else. No comms whatsoever. No commentary of any kind. It is, oh, it is such a constant nightmare with this service. So that was even before we got to the match itself, which was also a bit of a nightmare, a very poor showing, uh, poor showing for Scotland. It was like they were the flow rugby of rugby teams. It was incredible. With something like four minutes to go, we finally got some audio from the prodigal commentators, who by that point were just spending all their time talking about everything Scotland had done wrong from the get-go. So it was really refreshing to have that much salt poured directly into my gaping wounds. Thanks for that. Great. 26 to 18 was your final score. There will be a lot of questions that need answering for Scotland over the coming week, but rather than getting involved with the painful process of writing about how it went down, I've decided to simply borrow from the BBC's own coverage, linked, of course, in the show notes, where they said, quote, trailing the Pumas 18 to 6 of the break, Scotland rallied, scoring two rapid tries and drew themselves level. They finally had 
had ball and something resembling attacking cohesion. Entering the last quarter, we would see what Gregor Townsend's team were made of. Sink or swim time on tour. They sank. 26-18, failure to deal with the restart after Rory Hutchinson's try was the beginning of the end for the tourists. What came next was like a revisiting of the worst moments from Dublin and Cardiff in the Six Nations. A soft try conceded, a forward pass here, a ball out in the full there, a ball dropped, a ridiculous penalty given away, poor decision upon poor decision. The Scots got what they deserved in the end. That's four losses in six tests this year, unquote. Yikes! If this continues, I mean, Scotland might find themselves legally annexed by Wales. Okay, as I started covering it last week and promised to follow through, I will absolutely do that. I do want to quickly report on the results from the Krakow leg of the Rugby Europe Sevens Championships. So on the women's side of the action, Wales landed at 10th after losing to Germany 33-14. The Czech Republic earned the seventh spot by shutting out Romania. Belgium ended up fifth by beating the French 26-14. That must have been very satisfying for them. Spain edged Scotland out of medal consideration by winning 21-17 to claim the bronze. And in the end, it was Ireland who claimed the gold over Poland, who did much better than their male counterparts in this tournament. And speaking of which, on the men's side, Poland indeed found themselves at the bottom after losing to the Czech Republic 21-19. Italy, they overpowered Lithuania to grab seventh place, 19-31. Belgium came fifth by smashing Georgia 24-7. Germany earned bronze by beating Portugal 24-14. to And finally, Spain looked utterly in control as they won gold, smacking around the French to the tune of 29-7. to Congratulations, Ireland and Spain. Fun, exciting, great stuff. Well, by that music, you will know it is time for this week's Diamond in the Rock and, of course, this week it goes to Zarn Sullivan of the Maori All Blacks. Mr. Sullivan, you were absolutely incredible on Wednesday. When your brother joined you out there on the pitch, it was like you found, a, I don't know, a whole new extra reserve of energy and talent. Just an amazing performance on offense and defense. You really did it all out there. Your try in the 17th minute set the tone for everything that followed. And you did more than enough to get some eyes on you for future A-B consideration. Though I fear, to, to be honest, that line is pretty long at your position right now. But on top of all of that, your name is Zarn, which I didn't even realize was a name that you can use on this planet. So, my friend, enjoy the spoils and the accolades and everything that comes along with this award. For you are this week's Diamond in the Ruck. Congratulations and well done. Okay, of course, to finish off with our updates and previews, next weekend is going to mirror this past one very closely with starting off Japan versus France. Then it'll be New Zealand All Blacks versus Ireland. God, that's going to tell us so much. Of course, it'll be South Africa versus Wales, Australia versus England. And then things get very real for those of us here in the United States as my beloved Eagles face a Chile team undoubtedly smarting from the absolute pasting administered to them by Scotland. So thanks very much for that. Uh, that was great. Thanks. And finally, Argentina versus Scotland. Believe you me, I will be watching that one as early as possible next weekend. Of course, whether or not you count it as the same weekend, we'll then also have another midweek match, again pitting the Maori All Blacks versus Ireland. And who knows? Maybe Blow Rugby won't completely botch it. Maybe. Oh.
Oh, yeah. Okay. Never mind. That's exactly what's going to happen. Well, my friends, it was an incredible week in the international game. I can't wait for things to kick on next week. To those of you listening here at home, I wish you a very happy and safe 4th of July. And those of you elsewhere, well, you know, happy Monday. This has been episode number 50, which means in two more weeks, we will have completed our first year as a podcast. We've got plenty of great stuff lined up all summer long. I can't wait to share all the rugby with you as always. It's been our pledge since day one to provide content every single week, and we've managed to do that, which makes me very proud and very happy. So, as always, thanks again for coming along to all of you across the globe. Cheers. Talk to you soon. And be well.